Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, you have tuned into another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. I hope that everybody's doing really well as we're wrapping up this year of 2020. And as everybody knows, 2020 was the best year ever for everybody. Not. Uh, 2020 has been an interesting year. There certainly are some people who have had their best years ever. There's some people who've been mildly impacted because suddenly they had to take their laptop and work from home. And guess what? Their kids don't leave every day. And then there are other people whose entire industries, careers, lives, livelihoods, and everything else have been turned upside down by the COVID pandemic. Uh, that could be that they work in healthcare, so their world's been turned upside down. Could be uh, they work in the meetings industry or hospitality or restaurant industry, and they watched all of their income evaporate. It's been an interesting year for me. Uh, as of a year ago, I was in my 11th or 12th year as a professional speaker, speaking about 50 times a year as either the opening keynoter or the master of ceremonies. And somewhere along the line, around March 13th, I call that the day my business died. Everything stopped and everything I had booked, by the way, 2020 was possibly on track to be the best year I had ever had in then 12 years of doing this crazy business. And it all sort of evaporated and everybody said, oh, you have to pivot. Well, I did. And it's not as easy as everybody says. People are like, oh, go speak virtually. Yeah, there's a couple of problems with that. There's not as many events. There's more out of work speakers and the uh, money that the associations and companies have in a lot of cases has been dropped way down. So you'd have to work about four times as much to make the same level of income. So I had to get scrappy. So I joined the executive search firm of Stanton Chase in uh, July of this year. I am having the best time ever learning a new industry. Throughout my career, I've worked in several different industries, and this year has been so much fun. Uh, Stanton Chase is, without question, the best organization I've ever worked for, and the people I work with have been really good since I'm coming from the outside, helping me adapt my skills to be able to fit this new industry. Uh, all that being said, you know what? Going into 2021, my focus my focus is all about the goals and getting things done. And today, we're going to talk about the one thing theory, because according to my guest, you can't do 100 things at once. Guess what I've been doing for 2020? About 100 things at once. I'm throwing not just a pot of spaghetti at wall. I'm throwing an entire manufacturing plant's worth of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And my guest says, no, no, don't do that. You do one thing at a time. So we're going to talk about the one thing theory with David Essel. But first, I have to thank the sponsor or one of the sponsors of this episode. So today's episode <clears throat> is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. Now, at Spectrum Reach, they know one thing better than anybody. They know, number one, how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. Number two, they know how to offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And number three, they know what makes our cities and towns tick because they're our neighbors. They are the most trusted media partner in America. Visit SpectrumReach.com to get started today. So speaking of today, today you're listening to Making Waves at Sea Level and our guest is David Essel. 
David is a number one best-selling author. Author. He is a master life coach. He's been a speaker for 40 years, and he's a pretty nice guy. So David Essel, welcome to Making Waves great, at Sea Level. Great to be a part of the show. I'm really happy to be able to add whatever we can to your audience so that they can move forward. And tw- you know, I think 2021 is going to be an amazing year. So you know what, 2020 actually, I, I complained because financially I got, I got kicked in the teeth, but yeah. uh, you know, I'm kind of happy. I have a good life. My kids are doing well. Uh, you know, my daughter started college. Uh, my youngest daughter got into her first choice. We never even toured it because it was kind of remote and not located near anything else that she applied to. And I said, look, and it's hard to get into the Ivy League. And yeah. I, and you know, she's a great student, super smart kid. But I said, look, if you could get into Dartmouth, We'll hop on a plane and go visit Hanover. We'll do it the day you get the acceptance, whatever. And then she got in at the end of March. And guess what? There were no planes to uh, fly on and there were no uh, hotels to stay in. So she had to accept her college sight unseen. But you know what? She loved it. She had a great fall semester. She made friends. Uh, It wasn't what she would have expected for a freshman semester of college. But, you know, she was scrappy, made the best of it. My other daughter still looking for a job. She started looking for a job in February of of this year. Uh, Oops, uh, February, the job market sort of shut down. Uh, she's been out of college a little over a year, but uh, her fiance has a great job. They bought a house in Chicago and uh, you know, my wife and I still like each other even in quarantine where we see each other every day. So 2020, 2020's fine. But uh, you think 2021 is gonna be spectacular. So tell us more, David. Yeah, absolutely, without even a doubt. You know, one of the greatest superpowers we have as human beings is adaptability to change. And if we're willing to adapt, we can take this and make it a great year. If you want to stay stuck in talking about COVID, the pandemic, the election, and all the insanity that's happened, Tom, well, then stay in 2020. For those people that are looking to make a good time in 2021, it's totally up to you. You know, so much, and it's not just attitude. You know, it's just not walking forward and saying, I'm going to have a great attitude. That's not going to cut it. Positive thinking doesn't drive your life. It's what you do that drives your life. It's not that positive thinking isn't important, but it surely isn't the answer. So I think for people listening right now, if you're saying, God, what's 2021 going to bring? I'm going to tell you what it's going to bring, exactly what you expect and exactly what you do. So if you want to expect greatness and do steps to take you to greatness, 2021 will be amazing. If you want to stay stuck in the victimhood conspiracy theories of 2020, stay there. But while the rest of us are going to be passing you by. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that leads me to the first thought, and that is I'm a big believer in goal setting. I know there's a lot of people who kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh, goal. So if you set a goal and you don't hit it, then you're sad. Yeah. But if you set a goal and you don't hit it, you get way farther than you would have without it. Then you're better off. Uh, What are your what is your thoughts as a master coach? What's your thoughts about goals? Well, you know, we have a program, Tom, that's a little different. It's called a hybrid program where we we match my counseling degree with the, the life coach certification that you know, everyone goes through 1990. I had a huge transition where we stopped. I was in sports psychology and we opened up our psychology world to working with anyone with any challenge whatsoever. And I really think that that attitude is important. I think goal setting is important, but I go against the grain in a lot of things, Tom. And one of the things I don't believe in is I don't believe in setting goals past a year or two years at the most. I think it's just a lot of wasted time. You know, whatever you are going to accomplish in the begin in 10 years is going to come from what you're doing right now and next year. And so I look at asking people really focus on 12 month goals only. Now we can break that down and we have to break it down to monthly, weekly and daily steps. But, you know, years ago, when I 40 years ago, when I started, I was a huge big planner. 
my one year, five year, 10 year goals and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, I thought, you know, th these are just muddling my brain. They're, they're just causing chaos and, and I'm addicted to the future now. And that's a huge thing with goal setting we've got to be so careful of. When this happens, I'll be happy. That's addiction to the future. When I achieve this, I'll be satisfied. That's an addiction to the future. I would rather have people narrow it down, get tight, get focused, which is the name of one of our number one best-selling books. Get super focused, kick out the next 12 months, make an amazing plan for the next 12 months and the, the, the future will take care of itself. 2020 is a classic example for everyone that had been making plans for 2020, 2021, 2025, it's all off the charts. So that's why we say, let's get focused. And the more focused you are, the better your life will become. So, you know, there's a lot of people who listen to this show who work for big companies. And then there's a sure. lot of people who are with smaller companies trying to grow them to bigger companies. So how can a leader, regardless of the size of the company, but if they're managing a team or an individual, uh, what can they do to make waves within themselves, within their culture, to be able to get people focused on these types of goals for 2021? Well, let's go into the one thing theory, because this is what we rest our head on. In 1996, I had an interview with uh, the gentleman, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who's the founder of Transcendental Meditation. Wait, what, what, wait, wait, what year was this? 1996. You, know, you you realize that a lot of my listeners were just being born. And I, I have a lot. I have like this little demographic of like 24 and 25 year olds. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's funny, Tom. When I go back and talk about interviews I did in 1980, it, I get the same response. People go, "I was, was alive back then, David." <laughs> I, I I was in high school. So, but, but but you know, it's interesting. I I've been doing. I, I have another show called the Webinar Talk Show. And it's uh, it's uh, just a video. It lives on Facebook and it lives on YouTube. And uh, somebody was saying like, wow, you're kind of like an anchor man, the way the way you were doing this, me and my my co-anchor. And uh, I laughed and I said, you know, in 1983 and 1984, I was the anchor man of the Apache News, which was the Arcadia High School Apache uh, closed circuit television newscast that aired in homeroom. And I thought, you know, just stuck into my mind. I go, apparently I was always meant to have a video show. That's so cute. You know, when I was in school, we didn't have morning news. We didn't. Have well, in fact, in 1983 and 1984, most high schools did not have morning news. It's really common now because of, now, yeah. you know, the, all the, the technology that we have. But back then, high schools, public schools couldn't afford to have a closed circuit TV newscast within their high school. But my school had it because we were located across the street from Santa Anita Racetrack, one of the, the great race place, one of the grand old horse yeah. racing tracks. And in the 1970s, they upgraded their entire closed circuit broadcast system uh, to color. And they gave the entire black and white system cameras. I mean, these were big, like massive, like TV cameras like you'd have in uh, in a TV studio uh, and all the TVs and everything else. They gave it all to the high school as a donation. So the high school created a radio television program. Awesome. Yeah. And now it's commonplace, just like what you said. You know, I mean, for a school to not have morning news is kind of rare these days. So back to 1993 and your interview with the Maharaji. Yeah, 1996. So I'm interviewing Maharishi and we're talking about the power of positive thinking. We're talking about the, um, you know, what he believes the purpose of our existence on Earth. The guy was magically brilliant. He's no longer with us, but he was incredible. And, you know, the Beatles um, are really what took his program around the world. You know, Transcendental Meditation, all the Beatles love. As a matter of fact, about six years ago, Paul McCartney did a free concert in Central Park. He covered the whole expense 
simply to promote transcendental meditation. And so he was with Maharishi in 1960. And then in 1996, it was the 40th anniversary of transcendental meditation. And so Maharishi chose one radio show in the United States to celebrate the anniversary. And Tom, it was ours. And it was a miracle, a blessing. It was everything in one. But as we're talking, we go off air and he's saying to me, gosh, you know, you have a lot of goals and, you know, you really love the power of positive thinking and you love the law of attraction. And this was stuff I was teaching back then. And he said, does it all work for you? Like, how many affirmations are you saying a day and how many goals do you have? And so I lied to him. I lied. I said, it's absolutely working. And he said, "Okay, well, don't change a thing. So a couple weeks later, I come to the realization that what I had said was a complete false lie, that having multiple major goals at the same time. Doesn't it mess with your karma if you lie to the Maharaji? <laughs> you, you know, yeah, well, here's here's something interesting about karma that uh, in, in regards to karma and and reincarnation, the Dalai Lama of all people said in one of his books, you know, we talk about reincarnation as an absolute truth. We talk about karma as an absolute truth in Buddhism. He said, I'm not quite sure it is. <laughs> and, and, and that's fascinating since he's supposed to be the reincarnation. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he said, we have no proof. <laughs> we have no proof that this stuff works. So I, I come out of this interview with Maharishi. I realized that I had lied and it said, yes, everything's working perfectly. And then I started looking at what my goals were. And I would have six to 10 massive goals, you know, tripling my income, uh, you know, winning a bodybuilding competition, finding the love of my life, blah, 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 blah. I had so just the little goals. Yeah. Just small ones. You know, I don't, I don't don't go big time. You know that. So, but what I found was, and, and again, as a counselor, what I found was I was teaching my people to have, to either use uh, the four-step goal system where you break your life into four major areas and do a little bit on every area, or the pie chart theory where you have six major goals and every week you work a little bit. Well, what we found was, were some people succeeding with that? Sure. Were they succeeding at the pace they could have? Absolutely not. So the one thing theory states this, at any one time in life, we only go after one major goal in life. It's the one we've denied, delayed, procrastinated, the one we'd rather not do. And once you go after that goal, once you achieve a massive momentum towards it, every other area of your life improves. So let's say we have a CEO listening right now who's drinking too much. Hey, listen, you know, it affects your relationship, your mental health, it affects your physical health, it affects, if you're a spiritual person, it affects your spiritual health. So that might be their one thing, the thing they denied, delayed, procrastinated, right? Maybe we have a salesperson who knows they have X amount of prospects they're supposed to be hitting every day. But, you know, if if you're in sales and you have any fear, I don't care what level you're at, you reach some kind of fear of rejection or you start to hesitate, procrastinate, then your one goal should only be focusing on that. So we could break it down, Tom, to everything, you know, like what are we doing differently in marketing? So if you're a marketing expert and you're looking at 2020, I mean, you already have your branding done, I'm sure. You already know that your marketing and advertising have to be totally redirected to the pandemic if you're smart in business. And and so is that the one thing? But here's the problem that gets in the way. When you have more than one major goal to go after, Tom, you're going to go after it until you hit resistance. 
if it's weight loss. You know, I look at some executives that I'm working with right now. There's one who makes $10 million a year. He's probably 80, 80, 90 pounds overweight. His one thing is not to make more money. His one thing is to save his own freaking life because now he's type two diabetic. His cholesterol's off the chart. His, his blood pressure's off the chart. So his one thing shouldn't be, you know, working on increasing that $10 million a year salary. He needs to do what he needs to do to keep that money coming in. But the real focus should be at least one to two hours a day on the goal that you would rather not do. The one you're... Maybe we have executives who are in crap marriages. Listen, one of my books, Love and Relationship Secrets, that hit number one a year ago, we prove in there, Tom, 80% of marriage in this, in this country suck. We prove it with statistics. So if you're a CEO, you're a marketing expert, you're, the, you're, you're an HR person, whatever your role is in corporation, and you have a crap relationship, it's affecting your work. So your one thing would be, to get work to save the marriage, to separate and see if you can save the marriage or to divorce. But how many people, Tom, stay in crap marriages for 20, 30, 40, 50 years because they're either afraid of being alone or they're afraid of being criticized by their partners or their family or their neighbors for divorcing. And that might be their one thing. Hmm. So as we go into 2021, what do you advise executives to do when it comes to identifying their one thing? So it's a great question. And the easiest thing to do is you write down the areas that you are directly responsible for. And then you look at them and you look for the area that is the weakest in return on investment. Which of the different 10, 15, 20 areas that you're responsible for your company is underperforming the most? That's what we go after. We always look for the weakest link, Tom. You know, it's easy as hell to work on your strengths. You know, I, I played basketball division one and before making a division one basketball team, I had to be equally skilled in handling the basketball in both hands. Because when you get to that level, if you have a weakness, your opponent's going to find it in a heartbeat. So the thing, you know, let, let's, let's get foul shooting, you know, oh my God, the NBA college, you know, there's so many great players that suck at foul shooting. And you'll see them being taken out at the end of the game because the coach is afraid that if they get fouled, they're going to miss it and could lose the game. So their one thing would really be focusing on their foul shooting. Now, as we say this, whether we're talking about your relationships, your marketing plans, your sales, et cetera, in business, no matter what it is, it doesn't mean when you're going after the one thing that you stop all other activities. It just means you make that one goal the priority and like I said earlier, an hour to two a day, five to six days a week is usually what's needed to be able to pull that one thing and to lift it up to be equal to your strengths in your business or your personal life. That's fascinating. I've got a couple more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves like David Essel. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump on over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. 
So David, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business these days? Oh my God, we just came out with a book. I always wanted to write, Tom, and I was so afraid of writing it because of pushback. (laughs) It's called 50 Plus Flavors of Erotic Love. As a counselor, I've been working in the world of erotic love since 1996. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, I'm lost on the title. I'm thinking 50 ways for 50 erotic plus. love. 50 plus ways. Oh, we not, we're, not we're not stopping at 50. Oh, 50 is child's play, Tom. <laughs> go on, go on. Tell us more. So, I mean, this is one of the funnest things as an entrepreneur is that, you know, you reach a certain level and you really don't care what people think, you know, and that's where I am. So, so you're, and, gi- you're, you're giving that, that young demographic that I talked about, those, those 20 somethings who listen to the show, David, I'm not going to ask you your age, but I know you're older than I am because you were doing interviews when I was going to high school basketball games. Right. So you're giving the youth, youth some hope that when you get up over 50, over 60, there's still there's still some fun going on. Oh, my God. And Tom, the number one reason I wrote it as a counselor is to save monogamous relationships. You know, 80 percent of relationships in our country suck. One of the reasons is, is because people don't even know their own intimate needs. They don't know their partner's intimate needs and they sure as hell don't know how to talk about them. Everyone's so afraid when it comes to sensuality and sexuality of rejection, criticism, abandonment from their partner. No one really talks about it. But let me let me put it this way. When Fifty Shades of Grey came out, when that book and those movies came out, do you know that the highest percentage of people reading the book and going to the movie were ultra conservative women? Think about that. Hmm. That means that these ultra conservative women are filled with shame and guilt. They're afraid to talk openly to their husband, their partners. And in that fear and shame, they get to go and practice in fantasy land by reading a book or watching a movie. And what we've done with my book is we've said, let's get out of fantasy and apply this to your personal life. I'd say about 50% of the stories in the book are written by people that were on the verge of another affair, a divorce, workaholism, or addiction to avoid their partner. 50% of the stories are coming from my clients themselves that say, oh my God, once I learned about erotic love, we actually came back together. And I could tell you so many stories from the book that are extremely exciting. So, so is, the, is the book out yet or is this something oh, people have to out. wait for? I was going to say, where's my free copy? <laughs> it's, it's available at Amazon, awesome. Tom, just awesome. like for everyone else. Damn. <laughs> the, the great part of hosting a podcast is people send you free shit. Yeah, right. That's what you're expecting. So, so that's awesome. So people can get that book there. Who is, who is that target demographic? Is it, is it those conservatives who voted for Trump who are bored in the bedroom? <laughs> you know, the, the audience is really 30 to 70. That's really the, the the main demographic for it. And it's couples that have been together for more than a year who, because it's about at the year mark, sometimes it's at the six month mark that we start to lose that connection. And so what we say is, hey, listen, one of the reasons that you're losing the connection is because you don't know your partner. Listen to this time. Yesterday in my office, a couple been married 10 years. I asked them to do this exercise. What do you think your partner's intimate needs are. And I'm not just talking sex. I'm talking about holding hands, cuddling, doing things on their own, talking intimately about their future goals, all that kind of stuff. And so I said, I want you to write down what you think your partner's intimate needs are, desires are. 
They both did the exercise and they were both so way off base and they've been married for 10 years. <laughs> they had no idea of their partner's disease, de- 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 deniers, desires. So, so you said this is the book you've always wanted to write. Why didn't you write it 25 years ago? Oh, it's a great question. And the simple reason was I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid that people would look at it and say, oh, my God, David Essel's going into smut. He's going to hell or whatever it might be, you know. And but but you know what really broke all this open as an entrepreneur for me is that I wrote books for 20 years and we barely sold any. And then I came out with a book that went number one, like, shoot, I think it was three months. It was called Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will. That book, and everyone told me I'm either going to be working in a convenience store or it's going to really skyrocket. And so we took a risk and it was the first risk that I came out in public and said, the law of attraction is a bunch of crap. The secret's a bunch of crap. Let's look at reality. 20% of your success will come from your positive thinking and 80% will come from doing the work you don't want to do. You know, so, so, and even in the, in the 50 plus flavors of erotic love, there are so many people, there's exercises in there to follow, right? And so many people are afraid to open the book and to follow the exercises because they aren't sure what they're going to find out. And then once they do the work, they go, oh my gosh, So is the this one, is what I've always wanted. Is the one thing theory applied to the marriages too? Absolutely. The one thing theory goes everywhere, you know? So what we want to do is we, and we, we give people, now I'm not a fan of baby steps, But when it comes to sensuality and sexuality, I believe baby steps are the way to go. Because if you throw too much on your partner all at one time, there's a good damn good chance they're going to shut you down. So we tell you in the book how to start to express your desires, how to find out what your partner's desires are, and then to see where you can find common ground to do new things. But, you know, if you're with someone for more than a year, the odds are you're bored intimately. You know, because the, the the passion and excitement in the beginning is easy. That's the easy part. But how do you keep it going? You know, and, and I'm never impressed, Tom, by the number of years someone is married. Because like I said, 80% of relationships suck. And a lot of those relationships are people that stayed together that should have never stayed together. So the last question I ask most people who come on this show is when you look out into the world of business, who do you look at and say, wow, she or he they're making waves. They're the person I admire. You know, I, I think Tony Robbins comes to mind uh, only because he keeps reinventing himself. One of the things I admire now, he, Tony makes mistakes. You know, he's come out with programs in the past that suck. Who, who can, you know, but I love the fact that he keeps reinventing himself. Um, Susie Orman, someone that I've interviewed multiple times, you know, I think she is a leader and that her energy and enthusiasm. Tom, I interviewed her in 1991. Her energy has not changed over the years. And then the last person I'll mention is Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I Not only have I been a radio host for 30 years, I've been interviewed for 40 years now on shows. The most powerful host I've ever been on any show other than yours, Tom, <laughs> is Jenny McCarthy. She is not only gorgeous, she is brilliant, she is funny, and I'll tell you a really quick story. So she comes on, she, she didn't want to bring me on the, on her show with my book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life because she loved the secret and she loved the law of attraction. So she said, kept saying to my publicist, TJ, you know, I don't think David's book is right for me. And finally he wins her over. 
And she goes, okay. So I come in the studio, I meet her. She is so welcoming and so loving. And we get behind the mic and she goes, all right, gang, the next guy up is going to tell me and you that what I have been promoting for years is false. His name is David Essel. He's got a book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will. I love this guy. I think he's adorable. We've had fun chatting. However, I'm going to give him three minutes and I'm going to shut up. At the end of three minutes, I'm either going to agree with him or we're probably going to go to a totally different topic. And she starts laughing and she looks at me and she goes, you ready? I go, yeah. She goes, go. I had exactly three minutes, Tom. At the end of the three minutes, she stops and looks at me and she's shaking her head like this. Then she pushes herself to the mic and goes, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot believe it. (laughs) David Essel just blew my mind. I have been teaching you stuff that is not true. And I'm going to tell you today, he is by far the new leader of the positive thinking movement. And so I look at her not just because of the compliment. But the way she handles herself, she is the ultimate professional as a radio and TV host. You know, so those would be some people I think that are making waves. Yeah, I actually think that's funny because the other day somebody asked me, like, you know, because I do a lot of interviewing now, both with this show. I, I'm paid by two associations to, to be the host of their shows and I'm, I'm kind of liking it. And somebody asked me a question about it. And I said, you know, Larry King. I think did one of the best jobs if you over a career of learning how to get people to open up, how to ask really thoughtful questions. Obviously you have to say Oprah. And then I said, Jenny McCarthy. And the person looked at me like she does interviews. <laughs> like they didn't even know that that was, you know, wow. part of her, her stick. I go, no, she does a good job of, yeah. of interviewing people. So she's actually on my list of people I'd like to meet. So isn't that, it? I want to enter. We want her on making waves at sea level. Yes. Go, go for it. And, and you know, her. I'll tell you someone else who's really changed dramatically is Howard Stern. Oh, he's great too. Yeah. Five years ago, he went from the antagonist interview to the interested interviewer. Yeah. And, you know, and he even said in the beautiful article in New York times, he said, you know, I just got tired of the shtick. And he said, I realized that in me making fun and putting my guests down over the years, that was entertainment for the audience. I never learned a damn thing. He said, now that I've turned it around and I start really getting into what does this person have to offer? He said, not only has my audience benefited, but I have benefited dramatically and I won't go back to the old style. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it was him. Somebody just re-signed a new contract who's a, who's a radio person and they said, I was going to retire, but now that I can do it from home, I don't have an excuse to retire. And I think it was Howard Stern who said that. Probably was. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. For those who listened, we took you on quite a journey. We covered your marketing. We covered 2021 goals. We covered global pandemics. We covered sensuality and, you know, erotic love and Jenny McCarthy all in one 30 minute show. So, David, if somebody listened to this and they want to find out more about you, how do they find you? Easy, Tom. Talkdavid.com. I mean, my the, the, the name of my website is what I do 24 hours a day, pretty much. So just go to talkdavid.com. They can find the books. And if they want to work with me one-on-one as a counselor and coach, whether it's in their personal life, their business life, letting go of addictions, letting go of weight, um, maybe even becoming a stronger manager, owner, entrepreneur, if we have more entrepreneurs with us, just go to talkdavid.com and we will rock. Awesome. Well, again, David, thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single episode. 
If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the show? Uh, I created this show over six years and now almost 620 episodes uh, because originally I wanted access to really smart people who were doing cool things so that I could learn and I shared it with everybody along the way. But uh, we've got a pretty loyal little audience, but I'm trying to grow the show. So if you like making waves at sea level, I need to deputize you because the way people find the show, it's not advertising, it's not clickbait, it's not any of that stuff. It's always somebody told the friend. I asked people, how'd you find my show? And they said, my mom listens to it or my neighbor or my boss. So right now, go tell somebody right this minute. No, I'm gonna wait. All right, thank you. Thank you for telling somebody. Uh, but in all seriously, come back. We're here every Tuesday and Thursday with interviews with people who are making waves and who are just as cool as David Essel. Uh, but in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles, make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall. Don't climb the career ladder only to find it is in the wrong place like I did. And go have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.